Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our TIFF Talk. I'm Andrea Millers with Endogastric Solutions, and I'm here with Lynn McFadden, who is also here uh, with Endogastric Solutions. Um, Welcome, and thank you for joining us. We have two special guests tonight that I'm super excited about. Uh, They are Dr. Mohan Kulkarni and his nurse practitioner, Tess Powell. Before I give a proper introduction of the two of them, so um, without further ado, I do want to introduce uh, Dr. Mohan Kulkarni. He is a thoracic surgeon and special, excuse me, thoracic surgeon with special interests in the treatment of GERD and lung disease. His research pursuits include minimally invasive and robotic surgery, and he is on the teaching staff at the University of Michigan Medical School. Dr. Kulkarni's professional affiliations include the General Thoracic Surgery Club, Michigan State Thoracic and Cardiovascular Society, and Michigan State Medical Society. Thank you so much, Dr. Kulkarni, for joining us tonight. It is my pleasure to join you. Hello, everyone. Uh, Fantastic. Thank you. And the other special guest we have, and I think this is our first time having uh, a nurse practitioner here. Yes, we're very excited. Uh, We have Tess Powell. Uh, She is a certified member of the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. She is trained at Spring Arbor University in Michigan. And she, as a thoracic surgery nurse practitioner, she specializes in addressing esophageal, chest and lung conditions such as GERD, hiatal hernias, and lung cancer while also assisting with surgical procedures. She has a passion for patient advocacy and strives to deliver exceptional care to those in her community. Uh, Tessa's research interests include a minimally invasive surgery, esophageal cancer, and lung cancer. Tess, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Fantastic. So we usually like to start kind of explaining what is GERD. So I'll pass it over to you, Dr. Kulkarni, and, and let you explain what is GERD. Great. Hello, everyone. So GERD is a gastroesophageal reflux disease. So everyone has a heartburn once in a while. You know, you've stayed up nights. You've had a pizza. You've had a beer. Um, and, and you get the acid regurgitation, you get the heartburn, 
you take a little Maalox and you're done. Um, but then when it becomes more serious, more frequent, then you get this condition called GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. So a lot of people think it's a disease of hyperacidity, where you have more acid in your stomach than you should, but it's more to do with uh, valve dysfunction. There is a valve between the esophagus and the stomach. So normally it opens up when you eat, so the food falls into your stomach. But then when you're not eating, it's supposed to stay closed. So if that valve is loose, then the acid can leak into your esophagus and cause heartburn. So if that becomes a disease process, if it's significant, then you can have trouble like aspiration, you can have tooth decay, you can have sinus dysfunction, uh, and then you can also have damage to this wall of the esophagus that can lead to cancer. So GERD is a serious condition, and the medications that are out on the market are like a Band-Aid solution, I think, because all they do is they suppress acid production. And acid is so important in digestion. It helps kill bacteria that we all swallow by mistake. Uh, it helps protein digestion. It helps with calcium absorption. So if you suppress acid with these medications called PPIs, like proton pump inhibitors, like Protonix or Prilosec or Meprazole, then you're actually uh, disabling your body in absorbing calcium. You're disabling your body in killing bacteria so that you might get super infections in your stomach or you might get osteoporosis. So it's a Band-Aid solution. I don't think we need to get rid of acid. I think we need to keep acid where it belongs, which is in your stomach, and it's doing good things there. And the stomach has a great defense mechanism against acid, uh, but the esophagus doesn't. So if the acid leaks out into your esophagus, you can have pain, you can have dis uh, dysfunction, you can have injury. The injury can lead to pain. It can also lead to cancer. Yeah. So the procedures that we have designed, which is to tighten the valve of the junction between the esophagus and stomach, they help in keeping the acid where it belongs and they help with symptoms. So um, TIF, for instance, uh, transesophageal uh, incisionless fundoplication, which is just a matter of putting a scope in your stomach and tightening the valve through the, through the endoscope. It helps tighten the valve and it helps keep the acid where it belongs so that you're not suffering from GERD. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much for that. And test as a nurse practitioner, you see a lot of the patients, right? Either ahead of the time or after the procedure. Um, since we're talking a little bit before, what kind of symptoms do your do the patients kind of complain about that you always hear about? Um, so typical symptoms that I hear patients uh, complain of are heartburn or like a burning sensation in the chest, um, regurgitation or where like food comes up in the back of the throat, um, reflux, those are the most common. Um, like Dr. Kulkarni had mentioned, um, some of symptoms that patients experience are atypical, like they have a chronic cough um, that they're not sure um, where that's coming from or uh, tooth decay, chronic sinus um, uh, issues or 
uh, frequent um, throat clearing or sore throat, those are some more of the atypical symptoms that I see as well. Thank you. And Dr. Kolkarna, you mentioned something earlier uh, in regards to unmanaged GERD. Can you talk a little bit about that and what could potentially happen if, if someone doesn't manage their GERD appropriately? Sure. You know, everybody's had heartburn once in a while, right? It's all part of life. The late night pizza or that extra glass of wine that we have. <laughs> But if it becomes unmanageable, if you have significant reflux, it can injure the wall of the esophagus and constant injury repair, injury repair can lead to cancer of the esophagus. And that is the deadliest complication of reflux. And we need to do everything in our power to keep that from happening. Mm -hmm. I think that Tess mentioned, you know, I've had ear, nose and throat specialists send me patients saying, I am tired of fixing this man's uh, vocal cord polyps, or I'm tired of this man's uh, asthma, because people get adult onset asthma because they have uncontrolled reflux with acid trickling into their windpipes through the night, causing bronchospasm. So I've had uh, patients also get aspiration pneumonia, which is a condition where when you lay down, you can have acid trickle into your esophag into your trachea and then cause aspiration pneumonia. So there's very myriad of complications of reflux, not just heartburn. And I think we need to take this seriously. Uh, there was an article about how we are so vigilant about polypectomies for when you reach the age of 50. Everybody knows that they have to have a colonoscopy, right? When you have an endoscopy for esophagus and you see Barrett's esophagus, which is a damaged mucosa from reflux, why should that happen? Why can't we treat that? Uh, because cancer of the esophagus is a lot deadlier condition than cancer of the colon. So we need to have awareness in the community about reflux. We need to preemptive about it. We need to have uh, treatment solutions that keep the cancer of the esophagus from happening. Yeah, that's very true. I love that. Thank you. And uh, interestingly enough, next week during kind of the uh, Thanksgiving week holiday is GERD Awareness Week. So uh, just when we want to eat that extra pie and turkey and extra glass of wine, <laughs> Um, it's GERD Awareness Week, so this is the perfect time to let everyone know a little bit more about um, the treatments for GERD. Before I continue, I do see quite a few questions popping up on Facebook, so I'm going to pass it over to Lynn to get some of those questions asked. Lynn. Thank you, Andrea. And yes, we have a lot of questions. So a lot of them are obviously surrounding the TIF procedure. Um, the first one is um, from... Uh, this question is, how can I stop GERD symptoms long-term? Start there. Okay, who is that from? This is Kristen. Okay, Kristen, uh, you know, simple things like don't eat too close to bedtime, uh, sleep with the head elevated, uh, don't eat and drink as much at the same time, Avo avoid drinking a lot when you eat so that um, you eat an hour, you drink an hour before or an hour after a meal, because if you don't have a good competent valve, 
then if you distend your stomach too much, then it'll squirt into your esophagus. So eat smaller portions, eat more frequently, avoid certain items that cause reflux, such as smoking, alcohol, carbonatives that are found in onions and garlic, um, fatty foods, and then uh, large meals. So those are all associated with reflux. So avoid that and then drink one hour before or one hour after a meal. Great advice. Thank you for that. Uh, Lauren asking, would the TIF procedure help her get off PPIs for good? Okay, Lauren, great question. So if you think uh, PPIs is a long-term therapy, it is not. All you're doing, I call it a Band-Aid solution. All you're doing is suppressing acid production in your stomach. And acid is a great thing. It just belongs in your stomach. So what we, it's a plumbing problem. We got to fix the valve. We got to tighten the valve between the esophagus and stomach and so that the acid remains where it belongs. And the TIP procedure is a way to do that. And majority of our patients, majority of our patients are able to get off their PPIs once they have their TIP procedure done. Oh, thank you. We get a lot of questions about PPI therapy. So thanks for diving into that a little bit. And thanks for that question, Lauren. Um, Chris's question is around BMI and the TIF procedure. His wife is 38 to 40 BMI. Is TIF an option perhaps? And what is your cutoff in your practice when it comes to BMI? Was that Lauren? This is Chris, Christopher. Okay. Chris, uh, Christopher, great question. You know, BMIs are uh, 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 sort of a challenging issue for us. Uh, all I tell people is that, hey, you know, you're starting a new, healthier journey in your life when you come to see me. Um, you want to have uh, acid reduction and the procedure itself, as safe as it is, there's always a risk with every procedure, right? So if you are presenting to me to get your reflux fixed, um, you're coming to me uh, with with an understanding that I'm willing to risk certain things to get my problem fixed, right? So you need to have some self changes. Uh, let's start with smaller meals. Let's start with uh, reduction of calories. Uh, I want your BMI to be less than 35 because I want that TIF to work. Uh, if, you, if we do a TIF procedure and your BMI is high, uh, there might be an inadvertently high intra-abdominal pressure. The pressure in your belly is so high that it can overcome the valve that we introduce. So I want your pressure in your belly to be lower. And BMIs are um, a, a great way to address health issues. And we always have to counsel people on BMIs. So if your BMIs are less than 35, it's better for your knees. It's better for your pancreas. It's better for your heart. So and better for your blood pressure, better for your diabetes. So I've had patients that have gone off their heartburn medication, their diabetes medication, their blood pressure medication, and their heart medication because they got their procedure done. So um, let's start off as a journey that causes greater health in all aspects of your life. So treat this as a start of a healthy journey. Love that. That's excellent advice because it really is a journey. It's not just a 
you know, you're coming in, getting a procedure. It's everything that happens prior to and then long term after. Yeah. Excellent advice. Um, I'll give one more to you um, from uh, Chad. He's asking, what kind of testing do I have to go through in order to determine if I would qualify for the TIF procedure? Okay, Chad. Um, so we need to do at least an endoscopy, which means we put you to sleep and we look down your esophagus. We want to look at your stomach. We want to look at your duodenum and your esophagus. We also want to see if you have a hiatal hernia or not, because that kind of the nuances of, of I, I call it a roadmap. I'll tell my patients if I'm going to do the procedure, I want to get the roadmap. So I like to do my own scopes so that I can figure out what I'm going to do. Some of the TIF alone is, is the option. Other times I have to do a TIF with a hiatal hernia repair. So let me find out for myself as the operating surgeon what I'm going to do. So a scope is a great start. I will also do sometimes a manometry, which is trying to figure out what the pressures are like in the esophagus, what the pressures are like in the valve and the stomach. So that kind of helps me decide whether you're a good candidate or not. Manometry is not necessary but I do want to do the scope. I want to make sure you don't have precancerous skin in your esophagus. I also want to know how big your hiatal hernia is. Thank you, doctor. And is, do you see the hiatal hernia being uh, prevalent in a lot of your reflux patients? Hiatal hernia is a very common condition. So 10% uh, of Americans have reflux, right? Which is like a one or greater significant episodes of heartburn per week. So that's not, that's like 30, 40 million people. And a significant number of those people will have a hiatal hernia. So a hiatal hernia just means uh, everybody has a hole in the diaphragm and that allows the swallowing tube to go from your mouth into your stomach. So sometimes that hole gets bigger, then portion of the stomach goes up into the chest through the hole. So that is a setup for reflux. So what we have to do is bring the stomach down into the belly, and then we gotta close the hole in the diaphragm. Then we also have to wrap that stomach around the esophagus to tighten the valve. So all those things are important when you have a hiatal hernia. If you don't have a hiatal hernia and if you have reflux, then we just do the TIF alone. But if you have a hiatal hernia and you're suffering from reflux, we will fix the hiatal hernia robotically, and then we'll do the tip. You still get out the next day. You're only in the hospital at 24 hours. Yeah, double whammy. That's great for those patients. So thank you for going into that. We do have a few more questions, but I'll pause and hand it back to Andrea, and we'll come back to these remaining thank questions. Thank you, and here. thank you, Dr. Cole Carney. Uh, I know that uh, has, you uh, see a lot of the patients kind of leading up to, uh, you know, deciding which procedure is right for, for that patient. Can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what are those patients, what kind of questions do they ask you and what does that look like? I think one of the things when we pre-talked before uh, the live event, you were talking about um, setting expectations. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest thing is when are they going to go back to work and back to their normal lives? You know, um, with any type of procedure, surgery, um, they just want to know how long are they going to be down for and how long is it going to be until I can bounce back and, and do the work. Um, so I spend a great deal of time um, talking to patients, you know, with Dr. Kulkarni's expertise um, and um, kind of go through um the surgery and then talk to them, you know, uh, you're in the hospital for a day. Typically patients can go back to work um, within a few days if they have a desk job. That kind that, you know, kind of also leads into restrictions. We also go into, you know, restrictions. People are concerned about that. Um, what we recommend in our practice is um, all the restrictions are about six weeks long, um, which seems like, like a lot, um, but I tell everybody just to kind of take it with strive, give yourself some grace, um, take it day by day. Um, so one of the big restrictions are um, uh, no, uh, or full liquids for six weeks. So basically anything blended that you can suck up through a big straw, not that you have to, but the consistency of that for six weeks. And that just gives ample time for everything to heal, swelling to go down. Um, and then um, as far as, you know, activity wise, people are, you know, some, a lot of people are in that healthy stage, like Dr. Kulkarni had mentioned, um, you know, work out quite a bit. So at this time, we would just recommend walking, nothing that increases the abdominal pressure, um, like sit-ups, weightlifting, things like that, um, that would make um, um, anything go on with the repair. Um, and then... Um, uh, so no lifting over 10 pounds as well for six weeks. Um, so those are kind of the big things that patients um, really are worried about that we address in these visits. Great. So just to just to feel, chime in, um, you know, there are times when I might be stuck in surgery doing an hour, two hour, three hour procedure. And then there's a lot of anxiety associated with this procedure. So it's a it's really godsend to have tests there and TESS really um, treats the patients um, so well. They're, she's so kind and she answers their questions. She has all the time in the world for them and she will spend hours before preoperatively. She'll see them in the pre-op area. She'll see them at the time of discharge. So she kind of like is the face of the practice and the continuity of care. It's really great to I have. I love that. Thank you. I love that. And that I suspect that's the reason why a lot of people even out of state come visit you uh, to to have the TIF procedure or any other procedure uh, because you have a, such a nice teamed approach over there. Tell me a little bit about Dr. Cole Carney. What options are available today to treat GERD? Um, I know, you know, the TIF procedure may sometimes not be the the answer to everything. Um, what do you offer in your armamentarium for the treatment of GERD? Sure. Yeah. So um, reflux is a common condition and millions of people have it. So you could do conservative therapy. Uh, first of all, we start off with, okay, let's do behavior. Let's do dietary changes. Uh, not everybody needs an operation. Uh, so let's cut down the size of the portions of your meal. Uh, let's not eat drink at the same time. Let's not eat for three hours before bed. Let's not drink for an hour before bed. Let's minimize, you can't all be saints, right? So let's minimize what causes reflux, like wine, onions, garlic, smoking, um, 
those kinds of things. And then if, you, if you've done all that, you've done weight loss. Weight loss is very important because the more pressure you have on your valve in your belly, the more likely you are to reflux. So um, weight loss is a big, big issue in medicine. Uh, you do that. If, if all, you've done all that, not helpful, you're still having reflux, then there is medications like PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. Uh, they're great for short term. If you look at the label, it says don't take it for more than six weeks. I've had patients who've been on for 15 years and uh, why hasn't anybody told them to stop, you know? Uh, because there's no good solutions besides the PPI. So acid suppression, I think, is a Band-Aid solution. Acid suppression is wrong for reflux. I think primarily you need to uh, repair the valve. Let's say you've done all the behavior modifications. Let's say you've done all the dietary changes. You've lost your weight and you're still having reflux. But um, here's where we come in. We can, we can tighten the valve. We can help fix the root cause of your reflux so you don't have to take PPIs. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, let's talk a little uh, recovery after the TIF procedure. Uh, you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit, Tess, um, and what can they expect? First off, let's, what can they expect, you know, if they're coming in for a hiatal hernia repair and a TIF procedure versus just a TIF procedure? I think you mentioned that they'd be there one night and then, um, you know, talk a little bit more about, about that, if you don't mind. Sure. So the restrictions are, are the same if you get a hiatal hernia repair or a hiatal hernia and TIF or TIF alone. Um, but a, a big question is how long am I going to be in the hospital um, that we have for patients? So we usually get them out within 24 hours or less, um, which is great. Um, nobody wants to stay in the hospital longer than <laughs> longer than they need to be. Um, but during that time, you know, we monitor them. Um, you know, they don't have anything to eat or drink that day. The next day we start them on clear liquids. Um, typically patients um, say that feels a little bit funny going down. Um, when they start drinking, which is totally normal. I usually explain that to them as well. Um, just because of, there might be some swelling that's there. Um, but we make sure that they're doing great before we go home. Um, uh, they have anti-nausea medication if they need it. Most people, especially with this surgery, um, the TIF procedure is incisionless. So a lot of patients just love that, um, that we can do this and it, you know, there's no incisions, which means there's going to be less pain, less, you know, quicker recovery time. Um, and most people, their pain's very well controlled. You know, pain is a big issue. Um, and, you know, people are very concerned about it, rightly so, with any type of surgery. Most people um, walk out of there the next day and are only taking Tylenol, which is amazing. Um, and then um, as far as like the recovery, um, like I had mentioned previously, most people are back to work. If it's a, if it's a desk job, if they're heavy lifting and things like that, we um, ask that they refrain for, from that for six weeks. Um, we talked about the full liquid diet and, and that, but most people generally tolerate the procedure extremely well, back to work, not a lot of pain, and most people can right away, um, um, you know, notice a difference with acid reflux. Um, we typically recommend just some healing, you know, for the first um, two weeks and have them on there if they were taking PPIs beforehand, like Prilosec, a couple weeks um, 
uh, after the surgery. Um, but then when I see them on week three, um, they have discontinued that medication for a week prior to seeing me. And they can already notice a difference even just with um, full liquids. Um, so it's amazing how, how uh, quickly um, the response is to GERD once doing this procedure. Fantastic. So Doctor, just a, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're having a combined procedure, let's say you have a hiatal hernia, uh, we can still do the TIP procedure, but the TIP procedure alone will be insufficient in controlling a reflux. So we fix the hiatal hernia, then we add the TIP procedure. So it's kind of like a combined operation all in one. You still stay in the hospital overnight. And the way we've designed the minimally invasive robotic hiatal hernia repairs along with the TIP, uh, we inject a whole bunch of medications into their belly wall uh, that gives them uh, significant pain relief for at least 72 hours. And then we don't use narcotics. We use a significant amount of anti-nausea medication to reduce their nausea. And then they're, only, they're still only in the hospital 23 hours. They go home the next day. Um, we can do a pure TIF procedure or we can do a combined robotic hiatal hernia with a TIF. Uh, they, they, uh, they're very similar in terms of post-operative management. They're very similar in terms of pain control issues. Uh, and, you know, after uh, over 1,500 hiatal hernia repairs and over 600 TIF procedures, uh, we've kind of figured this out, so we'll take good care. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to let Lynn through some of the other questions that have popped up. So, Lynn, take it away. Perfect timing. Thanks, Andrea. So um, Rick has a, qu a question about the TIP procedure, its expected longevity, and basically, can it be touched up or repaired if it fails or becomes loose? And then is it inevitable that a TIP patient would wind up getting a Nissen or a different anti-reflux surgery in the future? Rick, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Rick, great question. So uh, the longevity of the TIP. Okay, we have, so the TIF has not been around as a Nissen has for the last, what, 75 years. TIF has been around for over 20, and we have long-term studies um, that have seen the uh, longevity and the uh, safety profile and the efficacy of TIF well over six, seven years now, over 80% uh, success. So when you look at uh, TIF procedures, uh, you get the, you get the safety profile. Um, you don't have to have the issues what what you used to get with Nissans. I personally don't do Nissans anymore because it causes a lot of issues, like gas bloat, uh, can't vomit, can't burp, can't throw up, can't eat meats, can't eat breads. So for those reasons, I've abandoned Nissans myself. I do partial fundoplications or I do TIF procedures. And they have a very a significantly better safety profiles and very similar outcomes in terms of reflux control. And yes, there's been issues where I had to redo another TIF procedure only because I tell people diaphragm is like one of the very active body parts. Uh, diaphragm has to move every time you breathe. So 12 times a minute it moves, right? And every time you sneeze or every time you cough, 
every time you hiccup or retch or throw up, the diaphragm moves spasmodically. So what we have to do is account for that. Sometimes stitches can pop open. If that happens, a uh, handful of times we've had to take patients back to redo it, it's totally possible. Perfect. Wonderful, thank you for that. Um, and then Tyler's question would be along the same lines, why would you do a surgery instead of a TIF? Tyler, uh, the safety profile of a TIF is a lot better in my mind. Um, and having done both approaches, because I'm a chest surgeon, I'm all over the chest, I'm all over the diaphragm, and I've done procedures through the chest, through the belly, through the scope. Uh, I just feel like the safety profile of a TIF is better. Uh, I have uh, less complications of gas bloat, uh, less complications of uh, inability to throw up or burp if you have to, and ability to eat things like variety of foods like meats and breads. Uh, it's a lot better with a tip compared to a Nissen. Thank you for that, doctor. And then Mike's question is one of our last questions here um, posted is very important. Can I get back to drinking wine after I have the tip <laughs> procedure? As long as there's no fizzy in your wine. So no, <laughs> but, but wine that bubbles is great. So no champagne, you're saying? Highly no. recommend. <laughs> no celebratory no champagne, champagne, Mike, but thank you for that. <laughs> I think we're done with the questions for now, Andrea. I'll pass it back to you. Thank you. I think that's my favorite question of the year. <laughs> yeah. Can I go back to drinking wine? <laughs> Uh, so before we conclude, one of the questions I always like to ask uh, our guests are, um, and especially now because next week is uh, GERD Awareness Week, um, what is like the one advice that you would give a patient if they were suffering from GERD? I'll let you go first, Dr. Kulkarni. So people come to me and they've been suffering from having intermittent control with their medications for like 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. My question to you is why did you wait long? Life is a gift, life is short. Why did you wait that long? You know, life worth living is worth living it well. So don't suffer, no need for it. Let us take care of the reflux so you can enjoy your life. I love that. I love that. Uh, and Tess, any anything anything else? I don't know how you how you match that. I don't know how I'm going to top that. <laughs> no, yeah. um, mine mine's actually along the same lines. I think just being your best advocate. You know, you know your body more than anybody else. Um, you know, if you're not getting uh, you know the answers you need, do your best um, to make sure you're an educated patient, um, well aware patient, and know what the options are, and just be honest with your providers. You know. Um, I'm suffering, you know, we get a lot of patients that are really just at our, at their last thread, you know, they've had it, um, they come in crying, this has really affected their life. Um, and I think, you know, it's just something that they think that they can just, um, they thought that they could live with, but there's other options out there. So, um, I think just making sure you're your best advocate and just, you know, be honest with your, um, healthcare providers. Fantastic. Thank you. 
Uh, so if you and you're in the Jackson, Michigan area or surrounding areas or even further out, according to Dr. Kulkarni, um, you can reach out to Dr. Kulkarni and, and Tess and their staff. And what I'm told is uh, they get lots of calls and questions about GERD and the TIF procedure. So please feel free to give them a call. Uh, if you are um, not in the area, you can visit GERDhelp.com. We do have a list of TIF trained physicians there. So you can just type in your zip code and or your state and you'll be able to find uh, someone there uh, to help you. Um, one thing I did want to remind you is next week is Thanksgiving. It is GERD Awareness Week. We are having a very special uh, TIFF talk next week. Um, we'll have some special guests, nutritionists. Um, we will also be uh, featuring our new GERD Gourmet Cookbook. We'll be giving away some cookbooks, and we will also have the e-cookbook available. Um, I know Dr. Kulkarni and Tess, you guys always talk about kind of that diet after and what can we eat. So um, we have some some GERD-friendly uh, uh, menus um, on there and recipes um, provided by some patients and um, physicians and, and others in the industry. Um, so please join us next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Time for that. Um, it'll be a fun, fun, um, special event, if you will. Um, any last words, Dr. Kulkarni or Tess, before we, we, we let you go for the evening? Well, you know, I was thinking like, as people get older, sometimes they feel like it's part of aging to not to be able to eat well. And I've met patients that have suffered from reflux uh, for years and they think it's just the way things are. You don't need to do that. You don't need to suffer. You know, life is worth, if life is worth living, uh, you should be able to enjoy the foods that you want. So uh, don't give up on that and um, seek help. If I you love need. that. I love it. Anything else, Tess? No, I think that about sums it up. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us tonight. Dr. Kulkarni, Tess, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Lynn, as well, thank you. And our producer, Christian. Everyone, have a great evening and uh, happy holidays to everyone. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you, guys. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERDhelp. Live well, GERD free.